thing that's driven me uh, since I We've was, been good at starting uh, things, and we've been way that really I would guide people to try to. The reason I was able to attract the remarkable. I always say, like, hey, start a band. And I credit teaching to, like, it's like math homework. Like, you have to show your work. Like, how did you get here? They said it couldn't be done, but here we are, episode 50 of Overtime. I'm Dan Cedarholm. This is Dribble's official podcast. Actually, no one ever said uh, it could be done, but here we are anyway. 50 episodes, pretty cool milestone, um, and I feel so fortunate uh, to be able to do this and host this show and basically learn from um some amazing talent out there and uh i just i feel really lucky to be able to do this and this is a special episode for a few reasons one it's our 50th episode two uh it kicks off season four for us so this is the first episode of season four and also we're going to be looking back today at 2018 as a whole and pulling out some of our favorite clips from um from all the interviews that we've done uh, you know, it's pretty cool because there's some common themes that that emerged from talking to all the folks last year that were kind of unplanned, and um, I thought that was really interesting. You know, things like how to get clients that you want to get from side work, learning by teaching was a big theme um, that popped up in several places. Uh, you know, having a sense of humor and fun and what you do persistence there's just a lot of stuff that came out of all the different uh, folks that we interviewed this episode is brought to you by page cloud which is an extremely cool drag and drop website builder and i'll be talking more about page cloud later on in the episode oh and before we get started uh, we want to hear from you um, we want to make this podcast the very best podcast it can be in 2019 and we have a survey for you a short survey a couple questions about how you listen to the podcast and if you have any feedback for us we'd love to to hear it so check out the show notes in this episode for the link to the survey and uh, we'd really appreciate uh, if you'd fill that out for us let's get started with the first episode that we actually did a year ago with andy j pizza he's host of creative pep talk podcast and this is a good one to start off with because andy starts by talking about finding his gift and how he found his gift and how you can too and embracing kind of what's weird about you in order to um make you unique and uh embrace your gift as well so here's andy the thing that's driven me uh, since I was young, even, uh, was this idea that the, it's, I think it's best summarized. I always talk about this quote by Picasso where he said, the meaning of life is to find your gift and the purpose of life is to give it away. And I think that the meaning of life is finding your gift is the first part of that. And, he talk, and I think that in our society we think that you find your gift through like a 30 minute career aptitude test, right? Like it, you know, that, that like that you're going to find the meaning of life in this, like just, you know, a little navel gazing or self-reflection or a Myers-Briggs test or something. And, uh, and I think that the thing that I think has served me better than anything else is that I've always seen finding my gift as a, a journey. And, and I've never been satisfied with like, anything but the real thing. And I feel like I always had a sense 
even though I don't feel like I'd ever properly tasted that that exact sweet spot, I always felt like I had like a, a metal detector that was telling me that I was, you know, when I was getting warmer or when I was getting colder. And I, and basically in that Picasso quote, I think there's also like the definition um, you, you can kind of extrapolate the definition of a gift. And in my opinion, it's like, what's weird about you that other people want? And, uh, you know, if I, I always say like, there's something weird about you that other pe- that helps other people, it's a superpower. And if you have something weird about you that doesn't, it's an abnormality. And I think like mm. uh, a lot of creative people, myself included, have spent tons of time in a kind of self-obsessed place you know, obsessed with this weird thing that we're into or this weird thing that we can do. Um, and it's more of an abnormality than it is a superpower, which is a problem if you want to create a career on the back of it. If you just Mm -hmm. are doing it to express yourself and you're not worried about, uh, or you don't feel called to, you know, do it for a living, that's fine. But for me, I always felt like it's either this or I'm going to have to fake insanity and be taken care of in some kind of home because I don't, I don't have anything else. Like this is what, this is what I know how to do. It's the only thing that kind of makes sense to me. And so I feel like, um, the first half of my journey was like just a series of science experiments. Like I'd have a hypothesis of what I think, you know, based on the data I have, this is my hypothesis of what I think my, uh, that gift is going to be. And I would do like a personal project to kind of test it out and invest in that path and then kind of assess how it went and then kind of press on or pivot. And this is kind of like, you know, looking back, it didn't feel that clear to me, but now I have this kind of system that I think about um, because I go on to help try to help other people do the same thing. Um, And by no means if I feel like I'm I completely found it, but I definitely feel like I made a lot of progress. So anyway, all that to say that that's kind of, that was kind of the process of getting to creative pep talk. Okay. It's a couple of cool things here. You know, Andy finding his gift, uh, and then giving it away, um, in, in the form of helping people through his creative pep talk podcast, um, you know, I think his journey in getting there is is really inspirational, and it kind of reminds us that you know, find what's different and weird about you, and turn that into a passion project. And for Andy, that was uh, his podcast. Um, and it, what's cool is is how he got there, and you know, he went on to to sort of explain how he'd never done a podcast before and uh, how he started. Directly after that moment was when I started to conceive of doing the podcast as it is now. And I'd never done the podcast up to that time. Um, Because I was like, I've got to figure out, basically, again, take this hypothesis and kind of prove it with with, uh, a project. And and I just thought, the only way I'm going to get, you know, get momentum behind this and start getting invited to conferences and stuff is if, I take the reins in my hands and like create basically an online portfolio of talks. You know, I think as I went through kind of um, mastering uh, the art of the side project, which I haven't done, but, you know, working on this idea of like, how do you make 
personal work that really pushes things forward in a direct, deliberate way. And so one of the ways, one of the things that's always happening is, you know, a portfolio proving that you can do what you want to get hired to do. And that Mm -hmm. was definitely a part of it. But I will say that more than anything, um, the reason why I think that there's really like uh, some kind of magic sauce on this thing isn't because of me at all. It's just because I, it's such a part of my passion and my history. And there it is, folks. You've got to be passionate about what you're doing and what you're creating and putting out in the world. And that certainly comes through in Andy's work for sure. And uh, speaking of passion projects, uh, we sat down with Jim Kudal last year and, um, you know, creator of Field Notes, Jewel Boxing, Layer Tennis, a whole bunch of different side projects that Jim has been successful with. And it was really great to sit down with him and, and hear, you know, uh, how he got to where he is, uh, which, as it turns out, is a pretty good place to be. We've been good at starting things and we've been pretty good at managing them and we've been excellent at shutting them down. Wait a minute, can you be good at shutting things down? (laughs) Uh, Jim goes on to explain that it's all about trying new things and then seeing what sticks. You know, try try stuff out. And if it's a moderate, moderate success, try to figure out how to make it a bigger success. And if you can't figure out how to make it bigger, then go on to the next idea. I love this thought, you know, that uh, not every business needs a a business plan or massive planning behind it. It can just be something you want to try, something you're passionate about, that you enjoy, you want to see in the world, and um, and then you see what works and what doesn't work. This is how Dribble started, really. It was a side project, and um, it grew, and it was a slow road to grow, and uh, and that's okay. You know, it's what's cool too is that Jim goes on to talk about you know, the definition of success and maybe redefining what that means. And success doesn't necessarily mean um, that everything you create is going to be profitable or last forever. Sometimes you can get success um, just from the path of doing it and, and learning from it. Things can be okay successful. You know what I mean? They don't, it's not, yeah. it's not like, well, you know, this is either going to be a success or a failure. And that's not to say that we haven't done plenty of things that have been abject failures too. But I think that, you know, don't underestimate getting out of bed and wanting to go to work as part of the equation of success or failure. Man, Jim is smart. Uh, you know, not everything has to be a, a quote-unquote success from the outside to be valuable. I love that. The path that we take to create things and try new things um, is success, uh, oftentimes success in itself. And uh, that's just uh, wonderful advice. And this idea of like persistence, um, this theme of persistence and trying, trying, trying until it works um, is a theme that carried over into one of my favorite episodes uh, of last year, back in February, with uh, Debbie Millman. It's very rare to have the Jessica Walshes and Jessica Hishes and the Timothy Goodmans who come out of the gate and hit the ball out of the park first, first, first pitch. Um, yeah, right. It's really rare. For every one of those, there's probably a hundred or two hundred or three hundred thousand people that are slogging away at trying to figure it out. And to those people, because I was one of those people, I say, keep trying. And I 
and keep trying with self-generated work. I don't think it's possible to make a name for yourself doing work for other people. I think that the way you make a name for yourself is doing original work on your own, which doesn't mean you have to quit your job to do it. I was doing design matters while I had two full-time jobs, one at Sterling Brands and one at the School of Visual Arts. So I had a day job at, 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 at Sterling and a night job at SVA, whereas run, where I, I've been running a, a graduate program. So you make the time to do what you want to do. And, and that gets back to the other thing that I say all the time, which is, you know, busy is a decision. If you say I'm too busy to make self-generated work or to make work that I feel is is different or or attempts to be original in some way, then it's just not a priority. It's just not something you really, really, really want to do because we yeah. somehow find the time to watch Game of Thrones or House of Cards or Homeland or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. so, you know, if we have time to binge watch a TV show or spend three hours last night watching the Grammys, you know, we have time to make work. Right. So keep trying, but keep trying with self-generated work. I think that is excellent advice. Uh, it's always worked for me. Um, you know, don't wait for big clients to come knocking on your door to create something. Uh, you can make up your own stuff. Um, make up your own brands. The way that I would guide people to try to do something for themselves is to do something where you don't have to ask anybody's permission for something, where there aren't parameters put in place by somebody else in which to make something. And if you can sit down and try to do something it, with, those, with, those, with that lack of parameters, it might help guide you to something meaningful. And I pressed Debbie on, you know, well, is that work real? You know, if you're just creating... Uh, say fictitious logos or whatever. And she came back with a, with a really great answer about, you know, what is real? If you're creating um, a graphic novel, if you're creating some type of visual identity for something that you've created, how is that not real? You know, how is that? I mean, I think that real is, is a subjective word. If you, if you mean it's not being sold in the marketplace and people are buying it, well, then I don't know that Design Matters would qualify because it's free. Boom. You heard it from Debbie Millman herself, folks. The stuff you create is real, um, even if it's not for a client or for big money or whatever it is. Um, it's real. And uh, I, I just loved hearing that from Debbie. Yeah, so create those projects that you want to see. I mean, along those lines, uh, we we were talking with Alana Louise in another episode last year, and she kind of shared how her lifestyle um, online and the things she shares on her Instagram, for instance, like her fly fishing and her adventures, being herself has attracted the type of clients that she loved working with, outdoor companies. Okay, this is my assumption because I... I'm not 100% sure why I got this lucky, but, um, I think because, uh, on my Instagram, you know, I post pictures of whatever hike I did or whatever, um, fish I caught, uh, that, that attracts a certain group of followers. Um, and then when they discover that I'm a designer, I think that's when that type of work comes in. Mm -hmm. Uh, right now I'm working on, uh, project with, uh, two outdoor companies that are collaborating on, um, public land use, which I'm a complete supporter for because, um, the water I fish in is, is public. 
Um, and I would love it to stay that way. Yeah. It just gets people excited when they realize that, you know, I'm passionate about similar things. Mm. By being genuine about her interests, you know, Alana was able to attract um, clients in, in those spaces and, uh, you know, went on to work with, with, uh, really cool brands in the outdoor space. So I think like take those bits of advice and put them together, like be true to who you are and your interests, but also know that you have the ability to create your own work, your self-generated work. That's a reflection of the kind of work that you want to do. This episode is brought to you by PageCloud, the world's best drag and drop site builder. Unlike typical site builders, with PageCloud, you can position and style your content exactly how you want it. Right now, PageCloud is offering you the chance to earn up to $1,000 for building a PageCloud template. Just sign up at pagecloud.com forward slash dribble. That's pagecloud.com forward slash D-R-I-B-B-B-L-E. And very special thanks to PageCloud for sponsoring this episode. All right, so what if you're building products and you're building teams that that need to build those products? Um, you know, we talked to Tina Roth-Eisenberg, um, a.k.a. Swiss Miss, back in August. And, you know, one of the first questions, and she probably gets this question a lot, was like, how do you do it all? Because she has so many... Um, you know, so many side projects that have turned into real businesses, much like uh, Jim Kudal. Um, but, you know, how does she do it? And we dug into it a little bit, and I and I think part of it is she does attract and hires really, really good talent and people that are on the same page as Tina. So here she is explaining that. I mean, I, to be honest, I, I'm, I am someone who probably <laughs> uh, puts too much on my plate. Uh, on a regular basis, but at the same time, like the, these are all all the things I'm doing are things I really care about and I want to see in the world. And then uh, I think my the luck I have is that I I can get people very excited about the things I want to build. So I you know I get to form a really really great teams around me that that support what I you know what I want to do. And you know obviously without that I couldn't <clears throat> I could not have built all of the projects and companies that I've done. So. So for Tina, her enthusiasm about the thing that she's building um, has to rub off on those people that want to work with her and want to build um, those products with her. I think this, the secret the secret sauce here is if you're someone who is really enthusiastic and can sort of light ignite that fire in someone else, and then they come on and you know and they want to build that thing with you, then this is possible, right? I also asked Tina, how do you find these people? How do you find these people that are just as passionate as you are about the thing that you want to build? Here she is uh, shedding some light on that. I mean, I feel like the things I want to build and see in the world, if you want to work with me, you have to sort of sort of connect with who I am on a very, very deep personal level. Sort yeah. of, I always say like, you have to kind of share a North star, North star and sort of the same values. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you find those people and you give them freedom and you let them sort of bring themselves into work, like I'm, I'm a very trusting person to the point where it's almost sometimes I'm like, wait, Tina, you trust people way too much. But, <laughs> but the, what happens out of it is like trust really breeds magic. Like when you hire capable, smart people and you sort of have the same values and you, you agree on, you know, that thing you want to build and you both see the value and you feel like it, it makes the world a little better and then you let them run, then there's, there's real magic that happens. 
Trust breeds magic. Uh, that's really important to remember. Uh, I know I have trouble letting go of things and delegating and all that. Um, but, you know, Tina um, makes a point to find those people that are passionate and trust them. Well, I think it goes into the same thing again, as I said before, like, I feel like the, the reason I was able to attract the remarkable team I have is because I'm very enthusiastic about things in the world about, you know, um, and I'm not just a cocky, I'm a confident person, but I'm not just confident and, you know, like, I feel like the joy that comes out of enthusiasm is contagious. So enthusiasm is yeah. contagious and yeah. contagiousness is what you need when you want to assemble a team that keeps going and keep, you know, and yeah. when you hit, yeah. when you hit bumps, did you, so I'm a big believer that um, enthusiasm goes along with joy. And I'm a big believer that you need to create environments that are very joyful. Passion, enthusiasm, joy, trust. Um, these are all uh, important things to building good teams and building good products out of those teams. Now you have this passionate team and how do you make sure they stay passionate and stay happy? And we talked to uh, Lyft's VP of design, Katie Dill back in November, and she had a really interesting, um, some really interesting thoughts um, about recognition within teams and uh, an article she wrote about how she applies this book, the five love languages um, to making sure that, managers in design teams are recognizing their uh their team members in ways that uh they want to be recognized and it turns out not everyone wants the same things you know you might consider yourself a fantastic manager and you go out of your way to make sure that people know you know when you appreciate them and the the great work that they're you're, they're doing and you know you're tapping yourself on the back thinking that you know, I've done a great job here and then at the same time, you, you might hear from the same person and see that they feel like they're never recognized. And it's that moment where you realize like, well, they're perhaps seeking something else. You know, you might've thought just giving them a pay raise was enough, but they actually might find that hearing encouraging words from you matters way more than their salary or that, you know, just the autonomy to take on a project on their own without, you know, so much leadership oversight is what they've been craving and not, you know, tangible uh, salary benefits. So you, you really do got to just kind of dig into that a little bit because basically, you know, we're all different and we all speak a slightly different language. Uh, and it's, it's totally fine that we do, but if we understand, you know, what the other person's preferences are, we can better, you know, kind of cater our conversations so that they can resonate more. And in the article, uh, what I'm kind of laying out is I, I compare it to the five languages and I, I offer a recommendation of what these five languages are in the workplace, things like encouraging rewards, further autonomy, visible impact, et cetera. And explain what each of those things are and how you might see that want in, in the people on your team. And then I also do try to make the point, though, that you know, people want all of these things, uh, probably, uh, but in different amounts. And I think the real the, the key is trying to understand, you know, what are the things that are the, the primary drivers and motivations for folks 
And that will help you understand how to really drive home your messaging when you're trying to provide recognition, appreciation, and encouragement to your team, which I think, you know, hopefully all managers know is a really important part of getting a team, you know, excited and driving towards the right things and frankly, just fulfillment in their job. You know, we all want to know we're doing the right thing. So we need to hear that from our, our peers and our, and our managers. Last April, we talked to Pablo Stanley, a really talented illustrator, UX designer, educator. And uh, he had an interesting analogy around being in a band and how that relates to working well within teams. I always say like, hey, start a band, you know, start mm-hmm. a band. And, and it, I mean, in retrospect, it, I understand all the things that I learned by having a band, you know, when I was a... Uh, starting as a teenager and all those things. It, obviously in, in the moment, I didn't know that I was, that this was going to be helpful and useful and, and, and in the future of me. But in, in the present, I remember just like a, if you have a band, you have to like overcome all the differences that you have, you know, that uh, probably the drummer likes heavy metal and yeah, and that's, their, their thing. And the, uh, guitarist, uh, really likes, uh, Latin music. And then, but at, at the end you have to find a common thing, you know, and you have to find something somewhere in the middle where everyone is satisfied and everyone's happy and everyone's enjoying what you're doing. And, uh, I, I think uh, that's something that I learned as, uh, as, as being in the band, you know, that I, and you have to be persistent. You have to be really, be really, uh, uh, good at like practicing that if you want to to do good in a show where you present your music where you you are exposed and you're vulnerable in a stage in front of people with a microphone uh you want to practice a lot you <laughs> you want to uh, uh become great at your craft you know and you only do it by just like being really good at with just scheduling and being really good with communication where you're with your band and well and, and and I see a lot of parallels with just like working with a team, you know, with a product team where you have uh, different roles in a team where it's the uh, front end, it's the designer, it's the product project manager or the product manager or and the engineer and the back end and all these people that are working towards the same goal and probably there's a lot of differences between them. Uh but 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 at the end, they they all are trying to uh, play some tunes in front of people, you know, and, and yeah. they want to do a good job at it, and and they want to be proud of what they're doing, and that's uh, that's something that I always say, like, hey, if you have the time, like, I mean, it doesn't have to be a band. For me, it was a band, and because I, I I suppose I'm the creative type or whatever that means. But some people, it's just <laughs> like a. I don't know that they're probably into sports as well. Join a team, you know, join a team and, and, and actually learn. Uh, it, it's another thing that you will have to, to practice a lot to become good and, and, and not practice by yourself, but also learn how uh, the, the rest of the team like works and what, do, what do they like and how does that uh, affect you and how can you help them reach their goals? Because if they reach their goals, it, you can also, they can also help you reach your goals too. So joining a band or a group or something that helps you understand 
what it means to work well within a team is, uh, is super great advice. And uh, it's worked well for me, for sure. Uh, but Pablo, tell us about how you really feel about drummers. Usually drummers would be kind of, uh, I don't know, they were kind of snowflakes. Is that how you say it? Snowflakes. Where it's just like, <laughs> you have to be very careful with the drummer and not hurt their feelings because the drummer, <laughs> they know they're they're super important. They know it. They know that if the band is nothing without the drummer, you can play, you can go to a show. I mean, and more if you are in a punk rock band, that's one of the things that you can go in a show and it's just like, hey, one of our guitar, uh, our guitarists are, is missing, but it's okay. We're going to play it because we're punk rock. Let's do it. <laughs> but you cannot do that without a drummer. You know, you cannot just go out there without, because then what is it? You you need that beat and they know they're really important and you have to take care of them. So sometimes if you're a drummer, stop being a a jerk, you know, and, uh, and I suppose (laughs) don't be the drummer in your team too. Um, sorry, be the drummer, (laughs) but don't be jerk drummer because drummers are really important and they're the ones that keep the beat. And now we're onto a theme that popped up several times, um, and that is learning by teaching and the fact that you can teach while you're learning something and you don't need to be an expert. And this is a topic that really resonated with me because it certainly mimics, you know, how I got to where I am um, with really sharing and learning um, as I was going along and, um, it helped me actually learn the thing that I was trying to explain. And, um, you know, Pablo, um, kicked it off for us here, um, uh, back in April and, uh, explains how he learned by teaching. Me sharing it's, I, I do have some selfish, uh, purposes behind this and it's, uh, because it, it helps me learn better and probably, uh, mm-hmm. by being open, I let other people be more open to it and probably I can learn from them. So in, in, in a way it's, uh, is that's, that's a selfish, uh, part of it, right? Whereas, uh, I also want to, to learn from others. And, and also like when you are, when you're sharing, when you're sharing your process, when you're opening the box and telling everyone, look, look what I did, then you're, you're being vulnerable, right? You are yeah. being, uh, you're opening up yourself and, and, uh, then it kind of, uh, uh, it helps you like, be on the mindset that I, number one, you have to be more careful about what you do too, you know, and you have to understand that better. If you're going to share it with other people, then you have to deeply understand what you're doing because Mm -hmm. then you cannot teach without understanding a little bit of what you're teaching. Right. Right, So when I started doing this, it was because of that, because I wanted to learn. And, and, And it sounds weird by teaching, I was actually learning because I was forcing myself to deeply understand how this thing works. And then I can explain it to other people. Once I understand that, then I, I'm able to to put it in a way that other people can understand it too. So that's in a way it's my it's my personal way of learning by teaching others. It it forces me to understand things. I just love this advice, you know, that you don't need to be an expert. Just dive in. Start sharing what you're doing while you're learning it. I mean it's it's actually the reason why all these uh, these YouTube uh, channels are huge that uh, my kids watch. You know, it's because it's fun and it's interesting 
And it's, I think it's easier to learn something from someone that's also in the same boat as you and that's learning, you know, maybe at the same level that you are. We also talked to Joshua Davis, amazing visual artist. He's been around for, for decades, really. Um, made a big name for himself in the Flash world and, and is now doing some amazing uh, programmatic, artistic things. And um, he talked about how it's okay to give your stuff away and, and how it's beneficial for him to contribute to open source. I got this argument like years ago when I was doing it with Flash and people will say, why are you doing this? Why are you giving away the FLAs? Mm. And most people didn't realize is that if I gave something away, I would get it back like 50 times and 50 times people trying other things. And so I was learning. Yeah. I was learning because I'd be like, oh shit, I, I never thought to do that. And that would end up fueling more of the creative process. So open source is very valuable in the sense that people do contribute and they contribute outside of what you know. And so they're going to do things you hadn't thought of that end up informing yeah, you. Exactly. Um, so it just means that the inspiration is always moving. Right. So by sharing, as you're learning something, sharing it to the world, giving it away, Joshua is explaining that he learns from that. <laughs> um, and that's the power of, of, of the web, really, and the power of numbers out there. If you are willing to give stuff away, people are going to give back to you where like literally I have sketchbooks of ideas that are spanning years of ideas that I still haven't gotten right. to there's yet. There's not just not enough time. And right? so there's not enough time. Yeah. There's not enough time to like to embrace like all these paths that people have helped, you know, point me into certain directions. And op the open source does that. Open mm. source says, "Hey, you have one simple idea, people will give you that idea back with 50 mutations. And so there is never a moment where I say, well, oh, I have no idea what I'm going to do today. That's never <laughs> happened to me. Back in November, we talked with Mary-Kate McDevitt, uh, illustrator and letterer, and she reflected on how teaching helps her refine her own process and put a microscope more on the way she creates work in a way that wouldn't have happened if she wasn't teaching. I mean, I'm really terrible at analogies, and the ones I come up with, I always talk myself out of it because they're too basic. But I'm always like, it's like math homework. Like, you have to show your work. Like, how did you get here? Right. Uh, and that's what that class is all about. It's basically just like taking a sketch and just really carving away at it. But when I did that class, it kind of uh, made me realize how... I actually enjoy teaching and how making yourself reflect on your own process is really important. So when I was kind of creating the outline for the class, I would be like doing something and anytime I was like, oh, I wonder if people don't realize this one little uh, detail to like create, I don't know, like a drop shade or something like that, that kind of any kind of little tips and tricks that you can kind of sh uh, spell out a little bit more clearly for students is really helpful. So it was really nice to just like kind of take a step back and look at my work with from like a bird's eye view, basically. I'd say with teaching, just that it's like I've laid out my own set of rules to follow each project I approach. So if I feel like I start straying from my own process, then I'm like, oh, better go back and, you know, check 
do a revision or something like that. Um, so it's helpful to, you know, know that you have this, these set of steps that you have to follow, I guess. Um, and the fun, the personal projects are usually ones where I don't follow it basically at all. And I just kind of like, I start with something where it's like, I want to draw birds and I'm going to do a drawing about birds. And then I start drawing and it's something pops up and, uh, it's like, it, I don't do, there's no brainstorming. There's no like really, uh, crazy amount of sketches. Um, right. So it's like, I, I like having the personal work to like loosen up a little bit and not be so precise and like have to follow because it can feel, uh, restricting. If you feel like you're just only following this one process, each project, it's like, uh, I want to let loose a little bit. <laughs> Not only is she learning by teaching, but she's also uh, using, you know, personal work as an opportunity to continue to experiment and, and refine that process that she has. And speaking about learning on the job, you know, we talked to Rob Jenneret III um, about his first teaching job at a high school and uh, teaching photography and how you know, he had never taught photography before. He had to learn it. And... Um, he sort of put the challenge back to the principal. The film process, I mean, I had to learn it. As a matter of fact, during my interview, I told them, like, yo, I can learn it in two weeks. And um, <laughs> you should have saw, like, the look on my principal's face, like, oh, really? And it was almost like, yo, challenge accepted. I'll take you up on that. And, like, I learned it in two weeks. Like, being that it was a new school, um, I had to put all the enlargers together. I had to set up the dark room. Um I had to unpack all the chemicals. So as I would unpack the chemicals, I would learn the nature of the chemicals and where they fit within mm. these different processes. As far as putting the enlargers together, it prepared me for if there was some troubleshooting to do or if one decided it wanted to malfunction, like even though somebody had to cause it to malfunction, I would know how to fix it because I put them together basically. That's amazing. You know, learning it in two weeks, being able to teach it, but then, you know, having it so fresh that you're able to troubleshoot, you know, things that happen. Um, you know, Rob went on to, uh, you know, talk about what teaching meant to him. Yeah. And I credit teaching to like that attraction, that draw that I have, um, mm -hmm. being a teacher, like whenever you're in public or you're doing something of that nature, it adds a warmth to the whole experience because I got to know my demographic. Mm -hmm. I got to know what's comfortable for them. I got to have my transitions, my segues, and I got to have a certain flair to deliver whatever message it is that I'm trying to deliver, whether it's verbally, if it's written or either visual. I put all Excellent. of those, those different tenets and elements in effect whenever mm -hmm. I go up there. And most of the time, I don't know what's going to come out my mouth until I watch the audience walk in. So for the last theme that I thought we'd touch on uh, in our wrap up of last year is the importance of fun and play and having a sense of playfulness and sense of humor in the work that you do. Uh, because if we're not having fun, then why are we doing this at all? Here's illustrator Lauren Dickens sharing how fun and playfulness is important in her work. It's definitely 
hopefully somewhat intentional. Um, I love making people laugh and <laughs> I like uh, surprising people too. Yeah. Um, and I also like surprising myself and when that happens while I'm designing is probably one of the best feelings you can have as a designer when you can step back and be like, wow, like that's, that's really something there. I've, I've, I've tapped into something here. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's a really incredible feeling. So it's, it's really not like I start a project and the goal that I've set for myself is that I want to make people laugh. Like, yeah, right, right. It's, it's right. really about finding the connection between whatever I'm trying to communicate um, conceptually and then tying the visuals back into that almost like a, like an infinite loop, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So injecting some, some, yeah, some wit into the work and basically these like larger concepts, I think really, really help the work resonate with people and keeps it interesting for me, you know, doing the work. Cause if you're not having fun, then why be doing what you're doing? <laughs> Amen. Also, it's a tough world out there. And how do we deal with, you know, real serious topics day after day after day? Here's why Lauren uses humor in her work. It's kind of a lighthearted way to take on these really tough issues. Um, mm, and yeah. I, as a, as a human being, I would say I, I tend to use humor as a tool in a lot of ways, or at least humor to talk about deeper things. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I think that... It's, number one, a really great exercise for me to really gather my thoughts. And the world we live in is such a, a touchy place right now. And so trying to inject a little bit of humor into these concepts and, and trying to get a laugh out of people or bring people together in that way, I think is a, a step in the right direction because it's hard to be serious all the time about these things, even though, you know, it's important. For Midwest native Tad Carpenter, adding fun to his routine uh, involved creating a challenge for himself, drawing a sun every Sunday. Uh, and he's been very dedicated to this and has, has drawn uh, in almost 200 of these suns, uh, each in a kind of a unique style. Here he is explaining the inspiration behind that. Once a week seems like a very achievable goal for me. And to me, the way I look at it, it for me, play is so unbelievably important in my work and mm. the value of play. And a huge part of what I do is, is, you know, really try to remind myself how lucky we are to do this. And, and I love, I mean, I, I feel like I'm, I never feel more alive sometimes, but this is the saddest thing I've ever said when I'm actually creating something. Um, I, I, I feel, I don't know, there's, there's a feeling I get from that, that, that is, that is something I wish I could bottle up. And, um, and that's kind of what it is, 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 is me getting to, to make and play for myself and not for a client, not for a specific deadline even really, but let me just kind of make things for myself and, um, and just explore new styles, explore new mediums. And at the bottom line, it, it's, it's what it is, is it ends up being practice also for me. And, um, yeah, I, I forget to practice, you know, our craft. It really was me trying to find a way to to kind of make something for myself and purely explore and do things for myself. But as things went on, um, I start seeing different needs 
in different like kind of avenues on how this project is starting to come into people's lives in some way, potentially, you know, and it's, it's just a fun thing that I, that I do, but at the, the bottom line, what I, what I hope is that, you know, through that work, um, it, it kind of, it, it kind of brings, you know, kind of shines a, for lack of a better term, you know, a little, little ray of light on their life that day. They see that thing or that object that when it comes into their life. And I'm, I'm a firm believer that as designers, I mean, the bottom line, if you really cut through all the crap, like with design is we're here to better the human experience. Like that's, that's what it is. Like bottom line, yes, navigation and communication and like all these things, but at its core design is here to better the human experience. Mm. And to me, I would hope, or I hope that these little, little exploratory things that I get to make and have fun doing, you know, can, can, can free people from any concerns they might have that day or just make them, um, you know, have shit, you know, have a little smile, you know, um, yeah, that's yeah. what you hope your work, um, could potentially do. Right. So I think this is a perfect note to end on to remember that you know we're lucky to be able to do what we do and to create and try to make people happy and don't forget to have fun if you can't have fun in your day job then create your own fun on the side uh i want to thank you for listening thank you for listening to our 50th episode it's been a fun look back at the whole year i'm really excited for this next season Season four is going to be wonderful, and we'll see you back here in a couple weeks. Please make sure you subscribe to Overtime, and we'd appreciate it if you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, thanks again. We'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.